Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hey, it's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. Veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, and is a longtime podcaster. Also, I have stage 4 prostate cancer, so my doctors advise me to stay home during these COVID-19 concerns. So what am I doing with my time? I'm calling some of the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who have been part of my life during more than 30 years in journalism. Oh, and I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. In the early 2000s, Kansas State hired a new baseball coach named Brad Hill. Coach Hill was coming from Central Missouri State where he had built a Division II dynasty, and a few of his players on that roster decided to come to K-State with Hill. One of those was pitcher B.J. Kissel. Kissel arrived for the 2004 season with three seasons of eligibility. K-State baseball wasn't great during B.J.'s time in Manhattan, but he played a role in changing the expectations for the Wildcats. More importantly for me, though, was how I met B.J. Kissel. In the spring of 2006, Kansas State's A.Q. Miller School of Journalism decided to offer a sports writing class and asked me to teach it. I had about 15 students in the class, including Kissel and some other notable people. In reality, Kissel didn't even attend class much because as a baseball player in the spring, he was often on the road. Yet Kissel never missed an assignment and the quality of his work clearly showed there was some talent there. After leaving K-State and moving to KC, he worked on the edges of the industry for years, writing a blog more as a hobby, but he was honing his craft. Then six years ago, the Kansas City Chiefs created a job for an in-house reporter, and Kissel landed the job. He was in the right place at the right time and had prepared himself in the right way to earn a unique place in the journalism industry. Ever since joining the Chiefs organization, Kissel's responsibilities and profile have grown. He's now an accessible resource for fans wanting to learn more about their Kansas City Chiefs who, by the way, were crowned Super Bowl champions at the end of this past season. Now let's track down my former student and friend, B.J. Kissel, who's enjoying an afternoon off somewhere in Kansas City. Hello, sir. How are you doing? I am sitting outside mm-hmm. in a chair with my feet almost in the water, fishing. So I'm doing fine. Hold on. This interview right is going to take place while you're fishing? I am right now. Well, that's but that's my fine. friend has got, we just got out here not too long ago. My friend uh, has got the line in the water. So I'm not technically fishing right now. I'm just watching. So where are you fishing at? We are just south of Kansas City. So it's myself and uh, one of the guys I work with at the Chiefs, but uh, we are in Paola oh, okay. right now, yeah. about, about like 20 minutes 
outside and 20 minutes from, uh, from where I live, so not too far. Is, is the guy you work with Patrick Mahomes? Are you fishing with Patrick Mahomes? Yes, it is Patrick Mahomes. He does not want me to name him. <laughs> That's all right. No, it's guy runs our social media accounts. Oh, fun. So, so how crazy has your life been in the last week or so? Uh, I was pretty busy around the signing, although, you know, there's so many people involved in, like, our department with the content that when something like that happens and it it's so big that we really don't get a ton of extra access, particularly now with, like, the COVID stuff. So, like, it was busy. It was something to do, and it was obviously big news. But the amount of work that I had to do around it really wasn't that substantial just because we're limited on what we can do. And we have so many video people that any video that they need to produce, we've got a, you know, an editor sitting waiting to do it. And Patrick had so many one-on-ones with national people and other stuff that pulled him in different directions that PR decided not to give us a one-on-one with him. So we didn't really get a whole lot of extra access. So, yeah. That's crazy. So, so yeah, we don't have a lot of extra access. So when they don't need a lot of content from me, I go fishing. That's nice. It's really nice. I did a a podcast this morning, turned that out, and uh, couldn't get Patrick, but got his uh, longtime trainer, Bobby, from down in Texas on. And so, yeah, did did that earlier, and so I did something, created some content today, and yeah, now, waiting to talk with you, fine sir. I know. It's good to catch up with you. Was your podcast with Nick Lucky? Did you have him on, or have you decided he's too much trouble to have on all the time? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> He's on the yeah our flagship show. These every once in a while we do these little like one off yeah, which is like a one on a one on one interview. And so that's all this one was this morning. But yeah, Nick and I recorded on. We normally record Mondays. He's the best. He's so high maintenance. He's just such a pain in the ass. <laughs> but, I did one of these. One of my yeah. first one of these was with him, and I swear to God, we didn't talk about anything of substance. We we talked about vacation spots. We talked about barbecue. We talked about. We screwed around for 50 minutes. It was fantastic. It was yeah. fantastic. I just like knowing now that I didn't, we didn't know each other in college, but we were there around the same time. I came in right as, you know, his career was finishing up, but, um, you know, I knew the name just he's an All-American. I knew he was really good. But then, like, come to meet him and find, like, you know, just get to know him. And it's just like, you're a gigantic nerd. He like, is. you're just this humongous nerd. It just happened to be really good at a very violent sport. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's really amazing. He doesn't fit what you think it's going to be. And then when I found out the most amazing Nick Lucky stat, whatever you want to call it, little bullet point, was in Texas, he got recruited by the high school wrestling team to fill in his senior year because their heavyweight got injured and he won the state title. Wow. So he didn't know how to wrestle, but he learned as quickly as could and just kind of said he faked it and won a state title. And I did not know that. That's good. I'm bringing that up on the next episode because we're previewing position groups, kids, and there's not a lot to talk about outside of Mahomes right now. Mm-hmm. So we just talk about the same stuff over and over and over. And, uh, yeah, it'll be nice to zing him a little bit with that one. We've got, uh, we had Dave Tobe on as a guest a few weeks ago. And Tobe remembered him from when he was at Mizzou and recruited him, and I guess Nick blew him off. And, like, Tobe reminded Nick of that, like, on the podcast live. I love it. I love it. It was was a perfect moment. 
Exactly. So what exactly is your job title with the Kansas City Chiefs? Oh, excuse me, the world champion Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> right now it's Chiefs reporter is what my title has been and what it continues to be, although my job has completely been flipped over on its head from when I first started six years ago. But, yeah, the title has remained the same of Chiefs reporter. And you podcast. You do the sideline now. Um it's pretty cool. Yeah, I did the sideline last year. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know if I'll be doing the sideline again this year uh, for the radio network. But I host a pregame show. I do some work with uh, the postgame stuff, and then uh, right now I'm editing videos and doing different podcasts and stuff throughout the week. But when I first started, you know, it was a lot more writing, uh, less writing now, more videos and podcasts. But it's all the same kind of content, just packaging it differently for you know, how people want to consume it right That's now. That's right. That's exactly what we're going through. Um, I had one of my employees who's primarily a writer move up into the 24-7 network, and we're kind of moving into more video oh. podcasting with that. So it's it seems to oh, be nice. what people want um, because reading's hard. That's <laughs> Exactly. I, I've gotten so angry at people who don't want to read and just don't want to read articles or long-form you know, storytelling type of things anymore, and now I'm just contributing to the, the dumbness of America and by not writing anymore, but well, hey, you got to do what you got to do. At least you're doing your part. I mean, you know, you're pitching in here to, exactly. to keep us all, and you know what, what's funny about it, I complain about it too, and then I got into some long article the other night, it wasn't even about sports. I don't know, and and I'm started skimming it. I'm like, oh my god, I'm doing the exact same thing I hate <laughs> people do because it, it was really compelling. I'm like, okay, I read enough of that quote. Okay, like, oh well. Somebody told me that every sentence or every word you write is just another reason that people are looking to stop reading. It's like you have no wasted words, no wasted sentences nowadays. Like if you're going to write. You've got to get straight to the point and stay there. You can't go off and people lose. People lose and they turn it off. They're looking for a reason to stop reading. And all the analytics tell you that when you read through them. See how quickly they turn off stuff, even on good good stuff. Well, the, an, the analytics freak me out because they can tell when you stopped really reading as you go down the page. I'm like, your computer knows too much about you. This is freaky. I don't want my computer yeah. to know that much. Oh. oh, well. How cool is this job, man? It's cool. It. Uh, I try not to take it for granted. I try not to, to overlook or underappreciate the special things that, with any job, I'm sure, you know, there's a billion people, Fitz, that would love to trade places with you. That sometimes you just yeah. you take for granted the little things. Um, I try not to do that, but, you know, there's a lot of crap that people don't see. They see the, the 5% of the job that, that public and it's cool. They don't see the other 95% of stuff, but right. um, I won't take it for granted. I, the people I work with day-to-day, the people on my level, I absolutely love working with. So uh, it's definitely made that, made that much more enjoyable. The players, the work with the football side is great. Um, you know, they're very conservative. They don't give a ton of access, but they're consistent. So it's not like they're you know hot one day and cold the next day. Coach Reed, you know, he's the same guy every day. His message is the same as expectations are always the same so there's definitely something to be said for that for how i interact with him and my relationship with him and the football side but um but yeah it's uh definitely something i'll probably appreciate more you know 15 years from now but try to remind myself to enjoy the little things yeah at the end of the day it's a job people don't quite 
get that. It's a cool job, but you yeah. know, it, it turns something you love into work and that can be a little tedious and everyone has bad days. I mean, you just, things pile up yeah. and you got, the right person says the wrong thing and can set you off. When you start having to worry more about, you know, what a sponsor wants and you know, how to tell a good story is when it, it becomes more of a job than it does a, a cool thing that, you know, is why we got into this. It wasn't just to be around sports. Like, right. I loved telling stories. I didn't care what sport it was. And I just happened to love watching football and respect the work that the guys put in. And it just led to an appreciation that meant I genuinely cared about the work that I did. And now it's turning into more videos and clicks and sponsored and partnered things. And it's just, it's, you know, it's money. You have to do it. It's a business. But at the same time, you don't want to get too far away from the things that you're passionate about and that you want to do. Yeah, exactly. You know, one of the things about me is I don't have a very good memory. And I don't have a memory for time. Like, you know, I've known a lot of people through Aggieville or athletes, and I just kind of run everyone together. Like, oh, you remember so-and-so. No, I have no idea who that is. So I, I don't remember these things. So I had to actually look up today when you were in school. Yeah. And because I taught that sports writing class for one semester. Um, yep. And Man, Kendra. Yeah, Kendra Wecker, you, and Austin Meek, who's now the columnist at the Organian up in Oregon and uh, you know just a it was a really cool class we had a lot of really talented people even if they didn't go into the industry there's it was fun so uh, I think I did such a bad job teaching that they shut the class down but in my (laughs) mind I did such a good job teaching they thought well that class can never get better than that we need to stop it but I was shocked to see you were done in 06 I'm like in my mind that was 10 you know not that far back yeah, I was around for several years after that because well, Megan was finishing up playing volleyball, so I was always still around there. I was working for the general baseball team um, as well, so like I was still in and around K State, and you know, getting the guys to go play over there during the summer. So I was still around quite a bit, but yeah, it's you know, like Coach, you know, Coach Hill was there for what like fifteen years, and then I was there from the beginning. Like I started at Central Missouri with him, uh, but yeah, I. I know the years because Kendra and I always had our class. We were the same age. And we always had all of our, you know, journalism classes were together. We had your class and it was like three other classes we had together. And we were always the athletes and we were always gone. So we always got paired together. So we got to know each other. And I think the class we had with you was like the fourth time we had a class together. So we just sat by each other and it was like, all right, seeing you at the spring class. So like, I'm going to be gone all the time. I'm going to need your help. But, um, yeah, there are bits and pieces I actually still remember of that class. I think Derek Larson yeah. was in that class. And, uh, yeah, there were a handful of people that uh, – what were those guys' names? They came over and um, they did the webcasting for the generals who were in those classes as well. Was it Scott, but, uh, Scott Miller? Yeah, it was Scott Miller and uh, Heath Fanning and somebody else. Uh, yeah. I think he used to go over there. But, but yeah, it, uh, I remember that class – a lot more vividly than a lot of the other ones, to be honest with you. Which is amazing. That makes you feel better. That's That does, because you were never there. That makes me feel good about it. Maybe you just remember, because <laughs> there's a few days yeah. when you weren't on the road for baseball, and you could attend. I wrote a lot of uh, sports articles that spring about the baseball team. Yeah. I interviewed was... teammates on the bus, and Coach Hill, and yeah. That was funny. But it was funny know, that then I actually ended up interviewing Coach Hill 
for a story I did when I was at SB Nation. They wanted something on the College World Series or something. And I remember reaching out to Coach Hill, and it was like, it's literally like I'm back in college. You're helping me <laughs> professionally now like you helped me in college with all of those stories I had to write for Fitz's class. You know, in some ways, though, you know, some teachers say, no, you can't do that. you got to go. I'm like, you know, in, in reality, sometimes interviewing a friend is more difficult. Like getting them to yeah. getting them to shift gears into we're actually having a conversation here and not screwing around. It does teach you about something about interviewing. It sets you up for kind of how to disengage it from the beginning and how to kind of do that pre-interview, yep. like 30-second small talk. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, like I have to explain to them that, you know, this is an actual, like I need an actual quote here. Like stop being a jackass and yeah. like give me something I have a, I have like homework to do. Whereas like strangers are just going to be nice to you. And if you ask something stupid, they'll answer, they'll give you something anyway, just because most people are generally nice that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that little conversation, that little, like we talked about fishing, just get them talking, get them going. So I'd always say, you know, yep. a good interview is like momentum. You just kind of shove them in the right direction and if you get enough momentum, you can get them to talk about anything. And luckily, this isn't a hard hitting podcast. I'm, I'm not seeking <laughs> no, this much. Is great. Scoop. Yeah, the, the most important question has got to be like your fourth or fifth question in an interview. Yeah. You never start with it. You got to get people talking, you got to get them comfortable. Just got to get them to not worry about everything coming out perfectly because, you know, we always edit out all the stuff up anyway. I know. So. You, you end up using so little of an interview. That's what I enjoy about podcasting yeah. is unless it gets too long or uh, we start talking about something completely inappropriate, uh, which happened with Nick Lucky, by the way, <laughs> um, it, it stays in the podcast. It's, it's the entirety of the interview. It's kind of fun. I, I started doing this just out of uh, a need to have something to do in the days while I'm kind of stuck at home here and, and uh, I've actually found great value and enjoyment in just calling people like we have not spoken in forever. This is awesome. This is awesome. Although we're social oh, media friends. Social media friends. So what is your your typical day with the Kansas City Chiefs? Uh, you clean Patrick's car. You, you, go get him a, <laughs> you go get him a sandwich. So what does your day kind of feel like? Uh, go through that for me. I make sure to lay out his clothes and iron his T-shirts as well. <laughs> no, um... You know, it kind of depends that if it's off season or whether it's during the season. You know, our days are so structured during the season because of media availability and just because of most of the content we do is, you know, is seriesable. You know, it's the same thing each Monday. You know, we put out a podcast and each Tuesday I'd have, you know, a video breakdown that I do that was called Inside Scoop, where I kind of go through, you know, one of the key plays from the previous game. And just kind of the, the behind the scenes of how it, you know, came came about. You know, whether it was an adjustment call or whatever it ended up being, you know, I do that on Tuesdays. And then Wednesdays I would be kind of springing forward to the upcoming game. So it's the same day that Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid would have their press conferences. So the and the, those times of those pressers are always the same. So you kinda of get in a rhythm once the the regular season hits that you, you end up being a lot busier, but in a lot of ways it's simpler just because you know what's coming. Whereas the off season things tend to pop up uh, with like long-term, you know, 12 year extensions and things like that. Uh, contract extensions that kind of come up out of nowhere in some ways. So um, it's, it's a different challenge and you figure out ways to create content that, you know, fans want to 
you know, consume, whether it's reading, you know, listening to in a podcast or, you know, watching with videos and whether it's long form video, short form video, you know, all that stuff is a challenge. And a lot of people can pretend to know exactly the best practices of how to do it. But in a lot of ways, we're all just trial and error and guessing and trying to figure out ways to cover the teams the best we can uh, in a way that uh, fans look forward to the content we're putting out. Yeah, see, you're you're doing exactly what if I was in charge of journalism at Kansas State, God help us, um, I would just entirely focus on multimedia journalism. I mean, there's enough people out there focusing on your TV and your print and you know your radio or whatever. Uh, I think the way this is moving, your job, my job, is a perfect personification of what the industry is becoming. When I came out yeah. of college, I was a writer. You didn't do radio, and you certainly didn't do TV. And here I am in the real world, 30 years removed from college or more than that, and I'm doing it all. I do all of it. I have to know how to do some basic video editing, which is my weak spot, but I do intensive audio editing on top of writing and editing stuff for the site, promotions, graphics, photo editing, all that stuff. I do it all, and I think that's where it's going to end up with, because even if you're a TV person, you're not writing for your website. You're probably hopping on someone's podcast or radio show. It is all about one thing, communication, and you need to come out of college ready to do it. And honestly, BJ, I'm really proud of how you've accomplished that in your career. It's really cool, because when I watch you do stuff, when I, watch, when I listen to your podcast or watch you on video, listen to you on the sideline or read your stuff, you don't have a weak spot. It's not like you know. I never feel like you're the the TV guy trying to write or the writer trying to do TV. You're good at all of it, and congratulations. It's fairly tough to do. Thank you, Fitz. I appreciate that. I think anyone who you know followed me for a while or had read anything that I'd been writing before I got the job of the Chiefs would know that I didn't have a lot of you know extra multimedia experience. I had just enough on my resume to help me get the job, but right. I wasn't a TV guy. I wasn't doing radio. You know, the last time I did that was back in college when I was in, you know, taking those classes to graduate. And so it was really, you know, just adapting as, you know, the industry adapts and you just get comfortable with it and you try, like I said, trial and error and you figure out different ways to do it. But I appreciate those words because it's not easy no. to, to change. You know, six years ago, I was writing three or four articles a day, you know, writing features. And then I got into long form storytelling because I loved telling stories, but it was a lot of time and it took a lot of resources um, and it didn't have the payoff for the amount of content you can you know, create in that same amount of time. Uh, and the business you know, perspective of what's a better use of your time, creating a lot of content for us to generate a lot of views or generate you know, one really good piece of content that's quality, but not as many people will go read you know, a 5,000 word long form. Mm -hmm. And so we've all had to figure out, you know, how to navigate around that, how to introduce podcasts and how to introduce video and, and the sideline stuff. And so I, I take a great deal of pride in, in being prepared, but at the same time, I'm not going to pretend that in a lot of ways, especially game days, it doesn't feel like a job. I feel like a kid in the candy store and I try not to, to lose sight of that. Never, you know, not be where my feet are is something I say all the time to my wife says all the time of you know just appreciating you know the little things and always looking ahead but um I appreciate the kind words and you know always continue to try to crank out the best content I can and tell great stories. Who did you call when you got assigned the sideline duties? Who'd you call and say, Okay, give me what do I need to do here? Because that seems like a foreign <laughs> element. You 
you know, one of the the people I, I did reach out to talk to a little bit was Matt Walters. Yeah. Um, I know Matt a long time. I reached out to him. Um, actually, reached out to to Ari Wolf. I works at NFL Network and is the play by play guy for our preseason broadcast. Um, Ari had originally got his start uh, in sideline reporting for radio. And, you know, I, I cover the team. I write about the team. I do videos and podcasts, and I'm immersed with the team. And I know the content, but knowing all of these, having all these nuggets and stats and all this information is one thing, but figuring out how to insert yourself into a broadcast in a, like a sideline situation is so much more difficult than just knowing the content and knowing how quickly you have to get it out and how timely everything has to be mm-hmm. and how you have to fit inside a broadcast window with Mitch Holtis, who's the best in the league, but does a, such a great job of you know, painting the entire picture that you have to figure out how you insert yourself inside that vision that he's painting for everyone. And so like that's been a huge challenge. But I reached out to Ari Wolf, and I talked to, to Matt Walters, and I, I talked a lot with Dan Israel, the executive producer of the radio network, uh, about how you know I can take what I know and what I know I'm good with as far as like what perspective I can bring, and how to get it to, to fit onto their network was was a fun challenge. It was a great year to do it. Obviously, being on the <laughs> sidelines for the Super Bowl and you know not being too far away from you know where those touchdowns were scored and being on the sideline, being able to celebrate. With a few of the guys when they came near my sideline was uh, was something I'll never forget. Video got a, a few shots of it that you know a lot of people probably glossed over, but I knew happened. Went back and found and made sure I recorded because those are you know those are things I'll show my grandkids one day. That's pretty cool. I I would suck at sideline reporting because I would just say something like, "Boy, it's hot. It kind of smells down here." And Travis Kelsey just said a bad <laughs> word. Back to you. It was either really hot or really cold, uh, or I was giving an injury update. Yeah, and so doing the Patrick Mahomes injury update in Denver was not a fun one because I feel like I had just got like everybody in Kansas City had just been like kicked in the stomach, you know, by a horse, and there I am, ten seconds later, having to try to talk live on the radio about it as he's you know limping ten feet away from me. But um, but it was a lot of fun. Definitely experiences I'll remember for the rest of my life. Were you able to see the nature of the injury and know exactly this wasn't good? I knew very quickly it wasn't good because of the way his teammates responded. You know, you never know exactly what TV is showing or what angle they have, whether they have a tight shot on him or a wide shot on his teammates in the sideline. But you could just hear the crowd go silent. You know, Demarcus Robinson was behind him about 15 yards, so I don't know if it was caught on camera, but he slams his helmet down. And then you see, you know, Paul Shreppel, the orthopedist that the University of Kansas Health System run on the field, in less than 60 seconds, see it, diagnose it, and set his kneecap back into place. You know, that whole thing happened, and it was reset in less than a minute, uh, which I joke with Dr. Shepel all the time that he's now a Kansas City legend for how <laughs> quick, quickly he was able to run out there and set it. And he's in all the pictures. But after the Super Bowl, I was like, you know, this wouldn't have happened without you. Because that's one of those injuries that the longer you wait, yep. the longer those 10. I'm not going to pretend to be a doctor, Fitz. You know me. But the, what I've been told is the longer you wait, the longer those tendons are stretched out and those ligaments and whatever's inside that knee that's you know being stretched in a way that it shouldn't before it gets pulled right back. Um, kind of like a rubber band that stays stretched out too long. It got back to where it needed to be and obviously what missed two games and was able to come back. And uh, obviously the rest is history. But yeah, Dr. Shreppel and you know, those kinds of moments are things that I'll never forget. 
Hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, take me through Super Bowl week. How crazy chaotic was that? And in in your function with the Chiefs, are you just pretty much acting as media at that point or are you having any other access that others might not the super bowl is a little bit different than like a true road game so like in a true road game like we'll stay in the team hotel we'll be around we're not going into the team meetings but you know we're around um you know we can eat in the the dining rooms together uh so we're around the players so we kind of see that kind of stuff we see the players around just kind of like small talk but you know trying to in respect that they're getting ready for a game and uh, you know, we're trying to do our stuff as well. So Super Bowl week was a little bit different because there's so many, you know, people there and so many staff that traveled and just the logistics of, of doing it down in Miami created some challenges for those of us that needed to spend a good portion of the day uh, or each day at Radio Row, you know, where the Super Bowl experience was and where all the national media and former players and the Hall of Fame players, you know, all that media stuff takes place. And one place in an area of Miami that was only about 15 miles from the team hotel, but it was also on one strip of road that was covered with hotels the week of the Super Bowl, and everything is sold out. So it ended up taking about two hours, I think it was, to get from the team hotel down to the Super Bowl experience in Radio Row. So there were a handful of us that ended up staying at a different hotel with a lot of our corporate sponsors who traveled and some select staff and some of the Hunt family who had traveled, I believe. We were at a different hotel than the team. We were closer to Radio Row because we were going to have to do work there. So whenever there was media that the team was doing up that was always at the team hotel, we had to go back and forth. So Fitz, naturally, Mm. I ended up spending about four hours a day sitting in an Uber with my laptop with my headphones on trying to either edit a video, a podcast, or try to edit some piece of content while not getting car sick, working on a computer in the backseat of an Uber stuck in stop and go traffic. So I want to say that it was glamorous. I was just hanging out on the beach with Mitch Holtis and everybody all day. But the truth is it was a lot of time in Ubers. There was a lot of time running around trying to get interviews and talk with people because we didn't want to miss anything documenting. You know, the biggest game in 50 years. You know, when you look at it, you know, 10 years from now, you want as much content as, as a content creator and gatherer. You can respect how much you know we put on ourselves to try to do every interview, talk to every player, and do everything we possibly could to be able to, to 
document this game in a lot of different ways for years to come. Very cool. Yeah, people don't realize that kind of logistics of making everything happen, and it sometimes can really suck. I, uh, the Fiesta Bowl is a perfect example. The game's in the middle of nowhere, and it is a long yep. commute to get to the stadium, and then you're like, well, it was nice that they built this out here. I don't understand why, but here we are. Uh, Funny story about the Fiesta Bowl real quick. So you're talking about the one against Oregon mm-hmm. down in Arizona. So we go to that game. We've got great seats. We're in one corner of the end zone. And about 13 seconds before kickoff, I looked at Megan, my wife, who played volleyball at K-State yep. for anyone who's not listening. She was she was a much better volleyball player than I was a baseball player. Megan Farr. I'll say yep. that. Yep. Yes. And I looked at her and I was like, by the way, this guy is really, really fast. And we had both been tailgating for a while. We were in the perfect headspace that we needed to be, if that makes sense for anybody who likes, you know, libations. And we were exactly where we needed to be. And then DeAnthony Thomas takes it like 102 yards back for a touchdown. And I just looked at her and I was like, I told you so. And it just completely ruined the moment. And then when DeAnthony Thomas comes to the Chiefs, every time I talked to him, my wife would not talk to me for at least a day and a half. That's funny. Because she would never forgive DeAnthony Thomas for ruining the beginning of the suggestible for us. And our trip down with our friends to to watch K State play Oregon in that game. I was never allowed to talk to DeAnthony Thomas. If I did, she wouldn't talk to him. That's a true story. Oh man, Stanton Weber is one of the nicest kids I've ever dealt with. He's a great young man now. He helps coach the special teams at Kansas State, and he set his foot about six inches off the sideline. And that was enough room. And DeAnthony Thomas went yeah. by him like the roadrunner. I was like, vroom. And it's like, what just went by me? It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable how fast he got up the field. And now, BJ, to think he's not even the fastest guy on this Chiefs team. I, it's what I've said before is that Tyree Kill ruined football for a lot of us who watch the Chiefs and watch him practice every day because he really makes everyone else look slow. Even when I watch college football games and I watch the national championship and I watch these unbelievable athletes and these returners and i'm just like you know what why why are they all running like four sixes out there like why are they not running and it's just because happen to watch the fastest guy ever step foot on a football field he really is that explosive and yeah d'anthony was was that guy for the the year or two before tyreek got there and then it was just a different a different speed and like mccall hardman runs like a four three five four three six forty and even he is just a step slower than Tyreek. It's crazy to watch these guys up close in person. It is. It's nuts. It's there's so much speed and athleticism on this team. It's fun to watch as a fan. Uh, you mentioned how it turns into your job. I've been able to keep the Chiefs and Royals for fandom, which is kind of fun. Kind of uh-huh. fun. So I was sitting at home. I was socially distancing before it was cool. Uh, my wife and I in the basement, I decided I didn't want to watch it with anyone else, didn't want to party, didn't want to bar, just wanted to go through it, the game, and absorb it by myself and my dogs and wife. And I'm pretty much resigned to the fact Kansas City's going to lose this game because it just seemed that way. Uh, what, it, what were your thoughts as this game is progressing and they just couldn't get the break, they couldn't get over the hump, and it, it just looks like, Okay, they made it to the Super Bowl and fell short. This is a really good 49ers team that is controlling this game. What was going through your head at that point? A lot. It's in the, a lot of it had to do with with non-on-the-field stuff that had to ha- that was going on with 
the radio network and the issues that we were having with the signals <laughs> during the first half, which is a completely different story. And I've, I've shared that on our podcast, and we can get into that if you want. But as far as what happened on the field, I, I learned after the Houston game, and we learned earlier, that they can score you know, two touchdowns in, you know, in three minutes. The defense can take the ball away. They can make those plays. And just Patrick Mahomes too often can make plays happen too quickly. So it was never a doubt that it was going to come down to a final possession or the final four, four and a half, five minutes. I always felt like there was going to be a point at which that we could really strike. The only time I remember feeling like the doubt was creeping in was there was a two possession game late with about five minutes left to go. They ran a, a running play where they gained six or seven yards on first down. And I just remember telling Dan Israel, the executive producer on the radio network, who I ended up, you know, for anyone who doesn't know how the sideline works for like a radio person, is that I might not be on the broadcast a lot, but I'm constantly talking with the executive producer to feed them things that I'm seeing on the sideline that they can tell Mitch Holpis and Kendall Gannon and everybody else in the booth that I might not necessarily come down to me to report, but it's kind of like the eyes down on the field. And I just remember the body language was the only time I remember myself kind of having that doubt. And I think the second down play was where they ended up passing it and Chris Jones batted it down. And then we stopped him on third down and got the ball back before, right before the wasp play that everyone remembers. And so I think we were down 10 at that point. So, for me, it was that first down run with, again, six or seven yards where I was just like, that is too many. They can't get a first down here. And it is throwing on second down, which a lot of people will criticize, but you'll see that they had, I think it was George Kittle, in space against Terrell Suggs. So they had the matchup that they are as confident about completing that pass as they are, you know, a run not fumbling. It just Chris made a great play on it. But that was the one time I remember having any kind of doubt, but uh, – you know, when there's time left on the clock and you've got Patrick Mahomes and all the weapons and Andy Reid, uh, you tend to, to always be confident that they can score quickly. And you saw them do it. It didn't matter what the stakes were or how much pressure there was. Yeah, that just, what, 21 points in the final half of the quarter? <laughs> Just amazing. And uh, I've shared this on, on my podcast. When Damian Williams broke the long run at, at the end of the game to seal it, I broke down. I just... It wasn't even like it was building up like I got emotional. It was like, wham, I was crying. And my dogs are like, what the hell's wrong with you? What is going on here? Um, but, yeah, it, it's kind of like 50 years of pent up because, sadly, I'm old enough to have that lifespan that have been around for that entire 50-year series of events that never got over the hump, never got to the Super Bowl. It just never worked out for the Chiefs. And it and that was my entire sports life with professional football and then it all went away. And uh it just like it was such a relief. Such such a relief. Fandom is great. Being a being Absolutely. a fan and having success, it's it you will have nothing in the game in terms of being able to affect the result. Sitting at home, there's nothing you can do to impact the game, and yet you feel like you won. It's just an amazing psychological thing. Yeah, everybody's emotionally invested, and however they they do that, they're they're in it. And it, it feels good when they win. It's painful when they lose, and you know you take it personally if somebody says something about your team, and you know, that's what makes it great. Yep. And that's what I think made the made the run last year that much special. I felt like. 
know, three double-digit, you know, deficit comeback wins in the playoffs was Mahomes and everybody's ways of like exercising the demons of Chiefs playoff pack. You know, where it's like, you know, you've had all these terrible moments and we're going to wrap one into each week where you feel like, here we go again, and they show you why that's not the case anymore. It's strange how similar it was to how the Royals won the World Series. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're going to lose. Up oh, they won. Oh, they're going to lose. Up oh, they won. Just over and over, it, this kind of rallying and, you know, completely defying odds and hitting Alex Gordon, crushing a ball in the ninth inning and, getting it to extra innings, just over and over, just kept happening. It's just crazy how it repeated itself. But, you know, another another level to this is Patrick Mahomes himself. He's just such a likable guy. And so now I want you to tell me that he's actually a total dick to you. I, I need to know this. <laughs> he's, he, he, he calls you names, and, and or he doesn't remember your name. That's probably better. He just doesn't right. have any idea who you are. Fella. He calls you fella. My job would be infinitely worse if he was a jerk. Like, it just would not be nearly as fun of a job. And nobody on the outside would know, you know, like, if you're just a jerk to people behind the scenes. He's not overly friendly. But I don't think I'm, you know, breaking any news or surprising anyone here. But, you know, he really is just a genuinely good kid. You know, not in the context of a football player or a professional athlete. He's just a good dude, and he's just a normal person who, you know, plays video games a lot. You know, his girlfriend gets annoyed at him, and he's playing video games a lot. You know, he just happens to be phenomenally gifted at multiple things that have come together and has the mental acuity to basically be the, you know, the perfect complement for Andy Reid as his quarterback. You know, that it's just, it's a beautiful pairing, and you know, you haven't seen a single difference in him from the moment he walked in as a as a rookie. Because he knew he wasn't going to play. Uh, and Alex Smith, to his credit, and I know it was talked about when it was going on, but it should still be talked about how Alex Smith went out of his way to help Patrick Mahomes back during that year that he was here when Alex knew that Mahomes was the future and that his time was only going to be a year, uh, maybe two at the most if the development went kind of slow. But, you know, I'd love to tell you some, you know, juicy stories about him being a jerk, but he's not. You know, he he knows the people who are around. I'm not gonna say that he knows, you know, everybody who works in the building with you know, names of their kids, but you know, when, you know, K State has a big upset win over Oklahoma and that game ends and you know, he's getting on an elevator, you know, two minutes later and fist bump and he just said that was a big one. Like I knew exactly what he was talking about. He knew it, you know, I was smiling about and I had that grin. So, like, we joked about K-State football all the time. Um, and so he's in it. He's, he's a good dude. You know, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for his family. And uh, if somebody's going to get a half billion dollars, you know, <laughs> that I've been around, uh, zero issues believing that uh, one thing's going to change with his attitude or work ethic once they uh, sign that money over to him. A half a billion dollars. It's uh, it, The numbers are incredible, but... Uh, sometimes people will sign athletes. I'm like, really? You know, but this one, I'm like, yep, that's worth it. It's worth it because he, he, he changes everything and he sets a really positive culture. The teammates like him. You can just see it. I mean, the number of guys that were tweeting at him, you know, overjoyed that they were he was getting paid like that because they want him around. They know they need him around for a lot of what yep. they want to accomplish to, to come true. It's 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 a cool culture and right now with the Chiefs. 
and they know how selfless he is and that like what he says to the media when he's asked about you know all of it that he was always going to be the highest paid player in football and he was always going to be you know, flirting with that Mike Trout deal to be the highest paid athlete it's just the nature of the position he plays the start that he's had in the market and all those things coming together but you're exactly right and it, you know it's been really cool to see how his teammates kind of rallied around him getting that kind of contract and that you know they know he's not going to change and they know that you know they're still going to give him a hard time and he's still going to be the same person that he's always been but I think there's certain things you just can't quantify when it comes down to it. And it was special to be in Miami. It was special to be on the sideline. It was special to go, you know, to the party, you know, till five o'clock in the morning afterwards. But honestly, the, I got more teared up at the parade, you know, the following Wednesday, a few days later, being able to look around and see a bunch of like genuine dudes that worked really hard to accomplish something be able to provide an experience for friends and families and fathers and sons and, you know, moms and daughters and all those people that came out to that parade that lined up, that were taking pictures, that got to just have that experience that they're going to remember 20, 25 years from now, the way that we remember big wins for the Royals or whatever it was, you know, kids, kids in Kansas city are spoiled fits. Like they know the Royals as world champions, you know, the chiefs, the Super Bowl champ, they don't know the struggle. But I will say, like, you know, you get those experiences and you can't quantify that. I can't quantify what it's like to, to spend time with my, you know, with my kids doing some of these special things and stuff that they'll remember and pictures that we take and, and all those kinds of things. They, these guys provided those experiences for us and a quality of, of living in a city that shouldn't take this little run in this next, you know, 12 years for granted because we've never seen anything like it. We may continue to never see anything like it, and um, we're all going to be in a better spot, you know, just with our quality of life sport. It's, Not to be too sappy. No, but no, you're true. right. When when your hometown teams are winning, the hometown kind of just smiles. Everything just seems better. Mm-hmm. And from a business standpoint, uh, you know, I've got a lot of friends in the, the bar restaurant industry, and... Uh, if you're in that industry in Kansas City, it's good. It's good. People want to come to your place and have the um, kind of the fraternal experience of seeing a game with others. It, you know, as much as yeah. I wanted to watch the Super Bowl in my basement because I didn't want to have people ask me, so the weather's been nice. You don't know. I, I don't really want to answer this question. I wanted to just watch the game and appreciate it uh, because I, I really don't know how to be a fan anymore. After doing this literally my entire adult life, it's hard to be a fan. It's hard to just kind of shift into that because you're always analyzing. You're always thinking, okay, what's this mean? What's yep. the storyline? It's hard to explain. Your brain just works differently, and you know that now that you've been in the business. I, it's the hardest part to do is to not, to, and like I said, be where your feet are. I would almost say it out loud to myself multiple times you know, during the playoff games on the sideline where you know, I'm busy, I have things going on, there's a hustle and bustle down there, but you know what you have to do. But every once in a while, just remind yourself, like, hey, you know, we're about to win the AFC championship game. You know, they're about to shoot off some confetti and we're about to go to the Super Bowl. Like, you know, take this in for a few minutes. And the same thing with the Super Bowl. Reminding yourself to take that in because you're so worried about the next hit or what piece of information are you missing that's relevant to the broadcast. And I think, like, once that final game is, like, once the Super Bowl is done and that game was over and the content was kind of wrapped up at least for a day or two, it felt really good to finally just be like, okay, now I can, I can relax. Cause I'm very analytical. I look 
you know, like I'm in a bad mood a lot. You know, there's a there's a acronym for that. But I'm just constantly <laughs> thinking about like the next. There is, but like there's a, there's I'm constantly thinking about the next piece of content, the next question, the next segue, the next whatever it is in this business that you know you're trying to accomplish content wise. That uh, every once in a while it's hard to unplug and to turn that off. And you ask my wife, like when you get home, it's hard in this business to just completely turn it off when you get home. Uh, when you're constantly thinking about things and, you know, things just pop up, it's like, hey, that would be a good content idea or that would be a good question or a storyline or a nugget or whatever it is. Exactly right. Yeah, poor Becky's learned. Don't ask me too many questions after the game or, you know, I've gotten home from my post-game <laughs> podcast. Don't ask me too many questions. Just wait till I do my Wednesday segment with Topeka Radio. Listen to that, you know. I mean, uh, she goes, well, I didn't know that from the game. I'm like, yeah, yeah. So you don't tell me anything. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to talk about stuff. I'm I'm here to be home. Here to be home. I'm happy for you, man. This has worked out incredibly well for you. Boy, getting that job was something else. I was so happy when you got the job with the Chiefs. I was like, wow, that's that could be a really cool job or it could be a miserable job. I mean, honestly, sometimes working for a franchise can suck because they're working into the ground because they know, hey, the next guy wants this job too. But if you're wired to work, you're wired to work the nature of the business in a lot of ways. And I was, I was putting in the hours, you know, when it was a hobby of mine. So it, in some ways it stunk that it took my hobby away. Um, and then it became that full-time job and you know, you got to find a new hobby. You got to find something new to do, but, uh, you try not to take it for granted. I appreciate the word. You know, I think anyone who's ever, you know, made it far in this business will tell you and that you get breaks along the way. Sometimes you get lucky, but you treat people the right way and you realize the older you get that the smaller the world really becomes in whatever faction of work you're trying to get into or whatever, you know, industry, that the world becomes smaller the older you get, the more people you meet. And I felt like I always felt like I, I treated people the right way. I felt like they took a, a chance on me when they gave me that job originally. I feel like I rewarded them for that and, and done a good job in the way that the jobs kind of evolved over the years. But you know, guys like Herbie Teope, another K-Stater, mm-hmm. uh, he was the beat writer for the Kansas City Star. He, years ago, you know, long before I got the job at the Chiefs, I was you know, a blogger writing on the side and had no TV experience. And you know, Herbie and I had met. We knew a lot of the same people. He reached out and kind of checked up on me and then out of the blue called and offered me a job to do something that I didn't have much experience doing because he knew that it was important for me to move in this, move up in this business to have the TV experience to get the job like I got with the Chiefs. I never would have got that without Herbie. Hmm. And he talked about, you know, people going out of their way to help you, not just, you know, passing a name along or giving you a number or you know, an introductory, you know, BCC or CC email. Like he gave me a job opportunity, and he only did that because he checked up with, you know, multiple people that, you know, we both knew, and they said, yeah, I've worked with him. He treated people the right way. Um, so I felt like that served me well, but you know, you got to get breaks along the way. People got to help you. Uh, and I don't want that to get lost that I got lucky along the way, but I'm very honored to have the job that I do to represent the chiefs, but also to represent K-State and people that they do me more as a baseball guy than a football guy. <laughs> and, uh, it's fun now to, that people see me as a football guy come to find out that, you know, as a baseball guy growing up, I played football a little bit in high school, but wasn't very good. Uh, but it's fun to, to, the people that knew me at different points in my life to see me in different ways. So, Megan's family still here in Manhattan? Yep. We come up. We're there 
quite a bit. They live in the same house. So yeah, we are, we are around. We always try to make it to a, to a football game with you. We always make it to a, a few volleyball games for Megan and, and try to go to a, to a baseball game if we can make it in the spring. Well, hopefully we have all that this fall and spring, hopefully. I feel for the seniors who couldn't, you know, get that extra year of eligibility. It was, it was a special time for me, you know, my senior year, that last year of eligibility, knowing that I wasn't going to, you know, go pro. Uh, scouts get fired for drafting, you know, six foot righties that throw 83, they're 24 when they graduate. <laughs> so, uh, when I was at my best, I could compete, and that was good enough for me to, to help see the. The program at the time kind of make a change and for Coach, Coach Hill to kind of get those guys, you know, working and the run they made to the Super Regionals, and, you know, a few years later with a lot of the guys that were there when, you know, when we first got there. It was pretty cool to see. Very cool. Yeah, Coach Hill's a good guy. Buddy, I'm proud of you. I uh, hope you can get back to fishing and actually catch something. Not going to happen. I'm just donating food here okay. to well, the food bank. Uh, you could come to Manhattan today and fish for alligator. I don't know if you're up on that story, but uh, we do have alli- at least one alligator on the list. I am. Yeah. So that's- hey, last time I was out there, I was out of pot two. When I go to Manhattan, I know where to go. I go to Annaberg with the kids because you can catch like 87 tiny little bluegill in about 10 minutes. Right. At Annaberg, the little lake there. But uh, yeah, I headed out to pot two um, over the weekend of the force and uh, caught some Caught some fish out there over the weekend with the kids, and that was a whole lot of fun. Right? Nice, good. Love Manhattan, make it back all the time, and um, always try to make it down to so long if I can. That's funny. That's uh, that's the exact same thing Joe Bob Clements said to me on on the last edition of this. Let's meet at so long for a beer, and and I think that's a good way to sign off uh, because I'd love to have a beer with you at so long as soon as we get back to normal in this town. Absolutely. It's appreciate you and everything that you've done for me. People might see your hear your sarcasm all the time, but you really that class that you taught back in the day. It was a long time ago now, not to date us, but I do remember some things from that class more so than some other teachers. Hopefully, they're not listening, but I do remember some things from that class. You know what you're talking about. You've always been a good dude. We've all uh, been inspired the way that you've handled everything you're going through and the the grace that you bring with it on social media and. Uh, I appreciate it. We're always thinking about you, man. Thank you, brother. Love you, man. T- say hi to Megan, even though we don't know each other very well. Uh, but tell her <laughs> I say hi, and uh, I'm glad things are going so well. Well, do. Appreciate okay. you. Bye. Learn from B.J. Kissel. He had a dream of working as a full-time sports journalist and kept that dream alive until he earned a big break that has allowed him to cover an NFL franchise and now report on a Super Bowl victory for the Kansas City Chiefs. Pretty cool, and I'm awfully proud of him. And, of course, men 45 and older, go get that PSA scored. It's a simple blood test that aids in the early detection of prostate cancer. Why is that important? The 10-year survival rate for men who catch their prostate cancer before it spreads is 98%. The five-year survival rate for men such as me with advanced prostate cancer is 30%. Don't worry, those stats are about other people's cancer, not mine. I'm going to be around for a long time. Take care, everyone. I'll talk to you real soon.